0: This is entheogen three human beings discussing generating the divine within while still being human beings in this show We are honored to be joined by Mariana Dinkova licensed psychotherapist. Thanks for joining us Mariana
1: Glad to be in the show
2: Yeah, so so Mariana, this is this is Brad um, We're excited to have you on the show because the show kind of exists because it was inspired after Joe and I saw a lecture that you gave at Burning Man this past year, uh, 2014, the title of the lecture was Navigating Altered States, the Ayahuasca Experience, and it was hosted by the Chakra-licious Camp. Mm-hmm. And it it was just, you know, so thank you for that, <laughs> for the inspiration, yeah, first of all.
1: there was inspiration.
2: Um, yeah, so today, kind of what we wanted to... While we have you, just learn a little bit about you and learn a bit about your work, and then maybe mention about an upcoming event that you've got in April in Peru.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll be happy to tell you more. Um, I'm originally from Bulgaria, so I know that my accent is something that people notice when I speak. And I am a marriage and family therapist and licensed MFT, um, and and I reside in San Francisco. And I have been a consciousness geek pretty much since I was a teenager.
0: <laughs> I love that. term.
1: <laughs> it's a great term. I remember that, um, one of the big inspirations for me to switch from architecture to psychology was when I was 19, uh, reading stanislav Grof's book, LSD and Psychotherapy, mm-hmm. and going, wow, if if it's possible to work with people and integrate the wisdom that some of the medicines can provide, that will be a dream come true. When I want to grow up, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so the and I remember switching, sub- uh, switching majors, just partially inspired by that. And now I don't work with people directly with substances, although I um, I do organize retreats in Peru in which I work with shamans who uh, work with ayahuasca. But I have become the, partially the before and after girl or the toolkit girl. Since for a long time I have been developing tools of how to, work, how to navigate altered states, how to navigate altered states from entheogenic experiences or drug experiences down to a lot of experiences which are altered states although they are not drug-induced. I know my very first samadhi, so to say, it was when I was 15 from jogging, when I realized, oh, oh my god, I'm God, and we're all one. <laughs> and I know that a lot <laughs> of the work I have done since uh, was also taking breathwork classes and taking uh, from Oceanic and Whole Tropic breathwork. And I also teach workshops about sexuality and breathing can be altered state. Uh, having sex is an altered state, so I know that a lot of the tools that I have developed they worked for for people who, who work with medicines as well as for people who who are consciousness explorers. And I'm really glad to, to be able to share some of that work with you.
2: Great. That's so cool. And before we go any further, I just want uh, our listeners to know how you can be found on the Internet because you have co- cool but different spelling of your name. So the website is marianadinkova.com and it's spelled mm-hmm. M-E-R-I-A-N-A. D I N K O V A dot com. And on the website, you can learn about Marianne and her experience as well as get information on the upcoming retreat, which we'll talk a little bit about in, in a couple minutes.
1: Yeah, the retreat is under events. So people can scroll, that, go to events and scroll down to retreat to find that.
0: Um, in the concept of the toolkit, you, you mentioned, Mariana, and that's, I guess, really what the workshop at Burning Man was about, just sort of, you know, building that toolkit, those practices that you might be able to rely on, you know, inside of these altered states. But being able to, you know, practice this, this kind of thing um, outside of those experiences and, and therefore be able to rely on them, you know, when you're in the, in the moment, having uh, one of those experiences that we talked about in a previous episode called Bad Trips uh, that uh, Kevin may want to talk more about.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess a lot of the tools can
1: be used in to prevent a bad trip, to manage a bad trip, but also to optimize a trip. And I know that also very few people talk about how to make the most out of it from the experience, as well as how to prevent going down.
0: So maybe we can briefly talk about the the first um, you know aspect of minimizing you know the likelihood of a bad trip, or Mm -hmm. uh, sort of being able to navigate your way you know out of a bad trip. Um, But I I find that fascinating as well. uh, The that you mentioned. Um, there's also a way to sort of optimize a trip.
2: Yeah, I mm-hmm. like that term.
0: Whoa. And I'm happy
1: to start talking with the preventing a bad trip. Is that a good one? Yeah,
0: let's, that would be great. Let's, let's start there, and, and maybe you can discuss some, some of the techniques that you, that you mentioned at that workshop.
1: Yeah, happy to. I've been collecting techniques pretty much for around 20 years by now. And uh, a lot of it comes from my background in psychology. A lot of it comes from my background in movement. And a lot of it comes from also um, a lot of time. I started doing meditation groups, maybe with 17 and studying Tantra with 19. So I've gone to a lot of... There was a time I was going to a lot of um, ashrams and being deep in non-dualism. So some of the skills also come from that perspective and from perspectives used in different meditations and in different ways of um, working with consciousness as well as from psychology. And as preventing a bad trip goes, and that's one of the things I teach in my ayahuasca retreats, since I've been amazed at how many people have this amazing, like super strong experience, and they're taught so little about how to navigate and how to, what to expect, how certain things that can be scary are totally normal, and actually even positive, and also how to prevent going down a dark place, since a lot of As a therapist, I know how many people come with uh, fear places and how many of my clients have a place that is almost trained how to go into the worst case scenario or how to protect them by starting to think about all the things that can go wrong and all the things that they don't actually want. Mm -hmm. Or also how sometimes we are trained to, if something scary starts happening, to fully give it our full attention.
0: So on that point, is it, is it the kind of thing where it's about how you're framing that in your mind or how you're expressing it to yourself? Like, I really want to, you know, avoid this happening. Or I think you mentioned in the workshop, one example was,
1: oh, Go ahead. Well, yeah.
0: one example I remember hearing you say was, um, somebody would say something like, why can I never find love or something like that? And then they would have this experience that would match that kind of feeling.
1: Yeah, and that's sometimes that people ask the wrong questions in the space, and usually ultra states can be an especially deeper entheogenic experiences. You can interact with the space, and that's also another thing that very few people know how to do, and we do it unconsciously anyway, and you can interact in a way to pull out of the matrix what you don't want or to pull, pull more of what you want. But as prevention go, let's start with sometimes one of the prevention skills is even approaching the trip with, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about an eugenic trip, but it can be, again, it can be about meditation, it can be about sex, it can be about breath work, it can be about many experiences. But approaching it with almost creating an expectation bubble and imagining yourself at the end of it, being grateful that you did it and feeling enriched by it so almost setting a container unconscious container around it that it will be a positive experience because a lot of people approach for example their first ayahuasca with a lot of fear or the first lot of things with a lot of fear when you're almost expecting it to somehow hurt you right so there's also about setting up a certain container or expectation or attitude about it with ayahuasca again, I've met people who expect her to be this evil dome that's going to punish them for their sins versus a nurturing mother that's going to help them become a better better person. So the expectation will matter to what kind of experience they get partially. Um, Another one is also as certain things come up, you have usually a certain window to go down that channel or not. And that's true in outer states, especially, but that's also true in life. And there, they have, there has been research that usually between having a negative thought or a scary thought or an angry thought and that manifesting in your glance, you have like up to 20 something seconds. So you oh, have a window in which you can switch the channel, change the attitude towards the thought, or not overfeed it before it gets into your glands. After it's in your glands, you it's about 15 minutes until it clears out for your blood.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting. Wow.
1: So there is also, like a lot of people don't know that when something starts to happen, if they can freak out about it more, which is kind of making it more real, or they can also... And not that that's... Always, I mean, I'm not saying the scary thoughts are always something to avoid or the, bad, the negative experience is something to avoid because sometimes there is a lot of learning to be, to be had there. But back to prevention. Like, let's, let's just uh, share some tools. Um, sometimes when the experience starts happening, and for example, with ayahuasca, people start seeing monsters, for example, or the visuals look monster-like or demon-like, which does in a small percentage of ceremonies. Like in... They're They're very different experience, but let's stay with that one. for example, you can choose at the beginning to give your attention to them or not and to give to involve them emotionally or not and I know that me myself as well as some participants in my retreats have been able to go to the place where they show up and they're like no i don't want to i don't want to play with you right now. I have other things to work on." Mm it's almost like if you don't feed them with certain amount of your attention and consciousness at the beginning, they, they, they they can't become real. They they don't, if you do, then after 20 something seconds, you might be dealing with, with a kind of inner negative energy slash monster slash something. But there is also a way in which the very beginning you can go like, no, I don't want to give you energy. I want to switch the channel and I, I want to switch the channel consciously to something else I'm more interested in working on.
0: It sounds like a really practical approach to it. You have both the sort of physiological side where, you know, you have a sort of like the, the process that's happening where thoughts are, are you know, turning into, um, I don't know if you call it emotions or the, the, like you said, the glands are kind of getting involved. And it seems like that's what you're saying is making the experience more real and seem, you know, at that point, something you have to engage with
1: yeah then it then you cannot switch so easily, then you have to almost like wait the fifteen minutes. you can choose to not overfeed it in the fifteen minutes, but you cannot completely leave it. but at the beginning, there is a window in which you can switch out before it really enters your system too much and again, I don't want to say that you always have to avoid it, and there is also beautiful work you can work you can have with more and more difficult emotions, but just giving options. Um, other things is also that I know that a lot of people usually of- often are trained to focus on the fears so focus on what they don't want as a way as of prevention, as a way of making sure they'll avoid it or making sure it- it's supposed to be a safety mechanism. And often it's this mechanism that makes people very scared in life. It's very often the kind of things that once upon a time helped, helped us to be safe and then later in life actually contribute to having a, difficult, a more difficult uh, difficult time dealing with situations, dealing with relationships and so on. I see it a lot in my therapy practice. And so another tool is when you start going down of, a, a path that is about something you don't want or something that you're afraid of or something that is bringing up a lot of negativity is to ask the question, what do I want? So almost you, because you can focus on what you don't want and feed that, feed that with energy. And sometimes there are benefits to that. And there is also sometimes just the, the simple question. So well, what would I like instead brings it brings in a whole different part of experience. And I remember one of my trainers in the Hakami training, and Hakami is one of the therapists I'm, I'm trained in, um, giving the, the metaphor that the unconscious is like a dog. If you give it a bone and throw it a bone and tell it fetch, it's going to go and fetch it. So be careful what kind of bone you, you throw it. If you throw it the bone, like what is it that is scary? What is it that can go wrong? It's going to go and start looking for evidence for what's scary, what can go wrong. And if right. you throw a bone through what do I want and what would be the optimal or an ideal case scenario here, okay. then it's going to go looking for that. And that's, possibly th- that's also where you can interact with the space and ask questions. And we're going to hopefully get, get, get to that in a little bit, like where the example that you gave, that if you throw at the bone, why is it that um, I'm broken and I can never have what I want in life? it's going to go in the matrix looking for that, and that's a very dangerous kind of paradigm to put into your search engine hmm. so that, that's also like if you do if we do interact with the experience, which is one of the main tools that I teach is um, how to because it is like the Matrix. Sometimes like deep down in a deep in the ex- in entheogenic experience, we are in a way in this field of so much information and so much more information than we usually have access to. So it's a little bit like that that scene in the Matrix where he was going, like, if you ask, he was asking the, I want to download the skills to drive that helicopter, blah, blah, blah. And then right, it was right. a complete. So you can also ask for the things you want. And, and you can ask for, hey, I want the skills that help me navigate that experience. I want the skills to know how to be in that experience in a way that is, that is helping me be with it with ease and grace. Like ease and grace is one of those things that if you ask for it, hey, it's a, I want to have that experience, but in the capacity that I can comfortably handle it and learn from it. Then it almost, the matrix knows how to give it to you in bite size that you can integrate. Versus if you go, oh my God, how, 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 what if this becomes too much? What if I become overwhelmed? And you're kind of almost telling the matrix too much and overwhelmed. Right. And then you're already kind of inviting the whole paradigm of getting an experience that might be too much or kind of traumatic.
3: I'm curious about what uh, what you can do. Like listening to everything you're saying, I'm reflecting on this particular uh, bad trip. I had the only bad trip I've ever had, and I can apply everything you're saying to this uh, to the beginning part of it. Maybe for like the first thirty minutes, where it was the first time I had ever had those kind of uh, self doubts and these like. Ne- negative feelings, and I was trying to avoid them, but I, uh, pr- pr- you know, I didn't, I didn't obviously do a good, very good job. But uh, at some point, uh, it the, everything became so overwhelming that uh, that I, I didn't feel capable of thinking anymore. Period. I was just uh, kind of reacting to everything that was happening, or just kind of watching it, I guess. And so I'm curious: is is there anything like once once you've gone off that deep end, is there anything that mm-hmm. you can? What
1: uh, is too overwhelming? To, yeah, recenter yeah. yourself or. There is, uh, I mean, there is one of the techniques uh, I teach is how you can, I mean, you can ask for helpers to help you deal with it, which is a little, um, that's a little bit more, one of more my more advanced tools, but also we can ask for what is the part of me that knows how to handle this? Hmm. So given that we, we are, there we're these humongous beings who have ability to be from Buddha to little scared child to, to a villain, to a powerful being. And, and deep down, we're we God. If, I mean, I don't want to go religious in this, and this is not necessarily how I hold the concept of God. But um, so often when we do ask what is the part of it that knows how to do this, then often this, that comes up. Or also sometimes, if it is a really deep psychedelic experience, um, like I remember one time on ayahuasca, I'm usually very happy when I go into one parallel universe or one immersive parallel or parallel world. So this one was like, oh yeah, what if I give you 170 of those? So I was suddenly <laughs> in like grand, parallel universe, Grand Central Station, like super overwhelming in a way. But then you can ask, uh, show me how I can be with this. In a way that doesn't overwhelm or hurt me. I mean, or in a comfortable way. And again, it's good to ask for things in a positive manner versus negative. Because if you say, don't overwhelm, the unconscious can hear overwhelm. Versus mm. if you ask, comfortable. So if you ask for how, how can it be this in a comfortable way, and then the space kind of answered, they got this vibrational informational thing that when I logged into it, it was like, oh, this is how you do it. This is how you are with this experience in a, in a way that doesn't hurt you. And it sounds like what you did is another tool or another one of the tools of how to build with really overwhelming experiences, which is go from uh, being in the experience to becoming the witness. And I remember actually me myself finding that too when it was one time an extremely excruciating experience many those many years ago in mushrooms and um in an environment where it was not yeah, not very well held and the dose was completely mismeasured and so on. That was like in my early twenties and realizing that I had to remind myself that, hey, I kind of asked for a certain growth, healing experience. I'm getting way too much information to ha- to handle and hold. And I'm being the movie. But what I also can be, I'm actually the screen. My consciousness is the screen to which that movie is being projected second to second to second to second to second. And if I'm the screen, I can have a horror movie or I can have romantic comedy or I can be empty. It's I'm, I'm not the experience. So in the moment, I'm, I like I watched or went to the witnessing consciousness, I had suddenly much more capacity to be with the super overwhelming hard stuff that was going on because I was the part witnessing it versus the part that was I was still experiencing to a degree, but much more from the witness perspective versus being thrown in the waves. And it sounds like that's a little bit also what you did to help you deal with it now. you're You're watching it.
3: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I it also just everything was, uh, the, the imagery was so powerful. Everything was so uh, overwhelming that it was, I couldn't collect a thought for a second. It's like there was that, there was no thought process. It was like, my mind was cluttered with, uh, just images and, uh, and I don't know, but just I mean, patterns and racing memories and everything was just like, uh, just so overwhelming.
1: And that can be sometimes a good thing because you don't have the capacity to have the thought, "Oh shit, that shouldn't be happening." Oh, me. I have to say that
3: there, yeah. there was. I, I did have the the underlying feeling that I was going to die. Like that, that I was certain about. <laughs> you
1: know? mm-hmm. I mean, I even I
3: even told told my friends repeatedly. Like I could, I couldn't see them, but I kept telling them, "Like oh, this is it. This is the end. I'm gonna die." <laughs> you know.
1: Mm-hmm, because it sounds like still the part of you That was making conclusions was there
0: Sure
1: mm, sure. And sometimes with really hard overwhelming experience If you just let yourself have the experience But you don't approach it with the Judging consciousness about Oh that's wrong, I shouldn't be having This, poor me for having this Or oh that means I'm gonna die Because it's that second part that makes It so much harder to just be with the feelings mm. And that was also another thing I learned from a really hard um, journey, which actually was kind of brought me into mother's womb, and then being the fo- the fetus consciousness, which was head- going through hell, but he was not judging it. He was not saying. It was going okay. That's despair, or that's hardcore emotional pain but without the part that was going that shouldn't be happening that means I'm gonna die that's wrong for my mother to be doing this (laughs) or (laughs) for me for having this experience so it was it was suddenly so much easier to be with really hard experiences when the part that was judging it making conclusions going to worst case scenarios making it wrong was not active So there's also the part where they're going into experience. The really hard experience is a sensation versus going into meaning and what that could lead. Because often people then have the experience and they go into worst case scenario. And then they're they're not dealing just with the experience, they're dealing with worst case scenario. And that's again, that's uh, an altered state or it can be breakup. I have so many clients who go through a breakup and they're dealing with the reality from I'll never find love again. And that's a hard one to deal with. It's not what's happening, but of the part that the manager starts managing the experience is often much more dangerous than the experience itself. And then it's much mm-hmm. harder to be with both versus just with the sensations of a really negative emotion.
0: Is there some aspect of human psychology that kind of like has to go there, like to amplify things, to to exa- you know uh, exaggerate things? Because you know you're going through one breakup. Why do we? Why do we? Extrapolate that into like, you know, I'm broken up forever kind of thing
1: And there is and that's often I mean I in uh, Often we develop strategies and and I also teach teach about self-sabotage that sometimes the very strategies we develop to Survive a really hard childhood are the very strategies that bring that experience that they're trying to avoid upon us later in life Mm -hmm if you were in a place where you had to be, like sometimes we, we live in crazy families, so we, or, or people grow up in families that are less than fully functional. So the part of you that can be ready for the worst might have helped you survive that, or they had to think ahead and so on. But later, when that when that's the first and only place you go, it often brings that upon you because almost people see when you're looking at them like you're going to leave me or when you're treating them from a place where underlying is you're going to betray me or what if you do so. And so So that later in life can almost hold the vacuum for that to happen. And same, same in uh, in outer states experiences. When you go into, oh, my God, what if I never come down? You are bringing so much fear to the experience that it, it's making it much harder to manage almost.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like that, the techniques you're describing to sort of deal with that, um, it, you know, deal with these altered states specifically, mm-hmm. actually, you know, carry over into just everyday life. I mean, these are really good life skills in general.
3: Yeah, I yeah, said so Joe, that's interesting that uh, that you brought that up because the uh, I, I'm just reading this uh, this gr- uh, great book and it's uh, well, it's a psychology book and it's talking about um, d- d- depression basically and people and like how uh, learned optimism is the title of the book. And it's really good, really really good read. But uh, but that's one of those like factors that pops up all the time is in uh, in pessimistic people in these studies they've done is that is this idea of permanence that like anything that happens, any bad thing that happens is is like necessarily permanent, and it's the first thing I did when I read it was connect it to that bad experience was like why would I why would that happen to me in this situation when I'm never like that normally.
1: So you went in the in the negative situation you went into that might be permanent.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Or, I, oh, I was convinced. I was it, convinced I had you erased. Answer,
1: I'm going to die. <laughs> and that's well, actually, no, no. that was one. Uh, I,
3: uh-huh. I think there was part of me that, that probably knew I wasn't going to die at some point, you know. But, but, but I, def- I was definitely convinced that I had, like, damaged my brain and, it, like, erased all of the information. Like, I had erased my hard drive, basically, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And it is. I mean, the thing is, with some experiences, they can have those elements. So I know that one of the things that made me really passionate about developing the types of ayahuasca retreats that I'm doing, which give people a lot of skills and give people a lot of tools that they can work with and much more of a map of the territory than, than pretty much any other retreat that I know of, was that drinking with so many shamans there was only one and only the first one who gave any kind of tools whatsoever or any description of whatsoever and uh, when she said like by the way if you you might feel that you that that you're dying and that's fine if you feel you're gonna die go for it have the experience be assured you're gonna hear in the morning you're gonna be here in the morning but have the experience you, you get a chance to have the experience of what of death and you can take notes <laughs> You know what I mean, kind of. Sure, sure. Yeah. I remember that part of your and, lecture. And and just be assured, you're gonna be here in the morning. It's it's normal to feel like you're gonna have that experience, and no, it's not gonna happen. So the fact that only one person said that from so many people I have drunk with, and it's one of the specialties of ayahuasca. That's why they call it the divine of death. Sometimes that it it can it can help people cross the veil and come back and go to the place beyond this lifetime and come back. It's one of its special powers, but almost nobody tells you about it. So there is also other places and other states where it can feel like they have the ability to so put you in the moment that you have erased the memory drive, but that's just mm-hmm. one of their superpowers. So if you're prepared and if you have the tools to know what you expect and uh, to enjoy the superpower while you have it (laughs) instead of going to what if it never happens again and what if I never come back again or so on. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of my friends who didn't know about that about ayahuasca, will spend like half of the journey fighting that and not having the experience. And that's just because of not knowing and not having the tools and not being given a, a good map. And that's that. That pissed me off. So that was one of the things that helped me develop and uh, and do the and create the kind of ayahuasca retreats I'm doing now.
2: Yeah, I think it was when we saw the lecture. That was one of the things you mentioned uh, that that stood out to me that I remembered and something that I've relayed to my friends and talking about this. Um, and the lecture generally was very refreshing to me to hear the topic and the way that you described it from a place of such experience. Um, And I had just gotten back from Peru, actually, like weeks before Burning Man. I'd down in Puerto Maldonado had done a retreat and I'd had a few experiences with ayahuasca. And and like coming into this lecture, I I very much agree that there's sort of a lack of good um, information on how to approach these experiences. Generally and specifically, you know, like going like when I was in when I was in Colombia, I was with shamans who only spoke Spanish and I was learning Spanish at the time. But it was a really interesting experience going there where I just didn't literally didn't speak the language of everything that was Mm -hmm. happening around me. And even in Peru, um, it was catered to more of a Western um, experience, like the people who we were with were all Westerners who'd, who'd come down. But there wasn't a lot of we were given a lot of space. Um, We are instructed to respect each other's space and to respect our own space and to explore it and don't be afraid of it. But there is very very little depth. Um, And in some ways, I felt lucky that I had the context of my experiences going into your lecture. But on the other side of that coin, I was kind of bummed. I was like, man, I would have loved to have had this insight and this this knowledge going into it. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And it can make a big difference. I mean, I have I have worked with people who have um had certain experience I mean it's amazing for first timers to to have the tools in advance but also for people who have had experience like after they did get the tools they were able to deal with scary situations in a completely different way or they knew what to aim for and they knew how to navigate so it was beautiful to see people who were so afraid of certain aspects then actually be able to handle them and heal and get to the conclusion get to the resources and resolve them because of the tools instead of freak out. Which they had done in previous ceremonies. So it was also beautiful. It's beautiful to see how they, they do work. And then when people use them, actually. Um, and you want to know how to use them because it's, again, it, it's not that you have to avoid fear. It's not that you have to avoid negative situations. There is so much learning that can happen there. But there are also other tools about how to do it in a way that doesn't re traumatize you, but actually helps you to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. when you re experience something without any new resources, it can be actually traumatic in some ways because you experience the same pain in the same horrible memory without having any new resources so it's kind of can almost hurt you again versus like if you do have the resources or if you know how to create I call it create it's kind of like creating spells but it is asking the right questions, or having the right intentions, or having the right thing that you aim your, your compass for compass for, and that can make a humongous difference in that, in how the experience reveals itself and how it's being managed and where it goes. And one of the tools, for example, if you think you're going crazy or you have erased your your hard drive, is to go okay, <laughs> this is really scary, and if that's still going on in six hours from now or by twelve hours from now, I'm gonna freak out but for, until then I'm just deciding to not sure. freak out
3: that is a that and is, very, uh,
1: give that it is very a very uh. a and if it's still going on by then then I'll freak out then I'll let myself have the fear and the assumptions but until then let's just hold it as I don't know
0: it's mm. like a, a wait and see approach yeah
1: yeah when well, you're really, not telling, I, telling the fear you're not valid but you're telling it you're va- you could be valid but you kick in over there if it's still going on
0: wow that's yeah. That's yeah, some good, great, good,
3: yeah. Very, very good advice. Yes, <laughs> I think uh, it's it's funny that as you talk about this. It's something we always talk about is that because uh, because psychedelics in particular or uh, are, are just kind of marginalized in our uh, society. It is one of the problems is that there isn't enough information. And uh, I mean, this is on a whole other level. We're talking about now people who who regularly do this and still could use a lot more information. And everything you're saying is fascinating. And uh, and I really like before that you said that uh, apart from you know avoiding these kind of experiences or being able to control them better is uh, is the idea of optimizing uh, an experience because I've definitely in the last couple of years had a couple of experiences where afterwards reflecting on the experience is like well why did I do that or why did I do this when when it would have been uh, much better much better use of the the experience to go and do something different or whatever and it had just been maybe a lack of consideration or maybe getting distracted or lost in something at the time. So I think that the, the optimizing part is also kind of a fascinating hook for wanting to have a better uh, map, as you said before.
1: Yeah, and also how to learn and integrate the most out of experience, because some of it is about learning and some of it is about becoming a new person because of those experiences. So some of, I mean, like there are tools for optimization, but there are also tools for integration, how when you have certain experiences, like an integration tool is, for example, in the experience itself, if they're really beautiful and really powerful and you get in touch with parts of you that you want to be more who you are or a bigger I mean, they are who you are, but you want them to lead your life more or to live life more from that place, how you can make the spell. And now that I know this, I want this to become a part of where I live from or from now on live from that place more. You know what I mean? So almost how to also have spells that um, not only optimize an experience, but integrate it better too, because a lot of people have an experience and then they come down and then that's that thing they experienced when they were high. Versus, they become more of that person. Cool. So, I'm also really passionate helping people integrate what's been learned. or integrate. We get so much amazing, da- so many amazing downloads, and there is so little knowledge how to let that those things really do the the, the most impact to who we are and how we live.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that's that's a really practical approach. And um, I, I mean, it's even hard for people sometimes to. Um, to uh, To be able to retain that information, those downloads that are ha- happening in the moment, um, you know, sometimes you come back with just sort of a vague sense that you you were you were really you know changed or that you really saw something that really kind of right. gave you a different perspective. But it's it's hard to put your finger on it. So I imagine there's probably techniques to you know practice ahead of time and then afterwards to to be able to like you said integrate those things.
1: And during, I mean, I've had, a, especially with ayahuasca, sometimes she would go so deep and she's working so on the DNA level almost or on the original blueprint of a person that it's so hard to conceptualize there, but you, that it's easy to feel the, the magnitude of what's going on. And you don't have to understand that just to go like, and from now on, I want to live more from that place or have what is just happening more of a part of how I organize my matrix, how I express myself in life. So sometimes it's not that you even have to fully conceptualize if you have a particular sense of something, which can be a, a profound experience or a sense of divinity. And know that you, in the title that uh, of the talk shows, you were saying something. How do you say about human being and divine experience?
0: Oh, um, yeah, three human beings uh, discussing generating the divine within while still being human beings.
1: Right. And often we get such a feeling about the divine within. So it's easy to also, it's some of those things you, we cannot conceptualize or they're like so within beyond the realm of words, but it's still possible to when you get the sense of rightness or the sense of profundity to integrate it because you don't have to know exactly what everything that you put in your body does for it to help. Like, like talking about supplements, they can still work without you now understanding how it works.
0: Well, I'm just—I'm so thankful that someone like you is—is is doing this work because it's so necessary. I feel like, you know, um, to to bring this sort of um, this—I don't know if I'd, I'd call it a Western approach—but you know, obviously these these practices, this, this medicine has been around for you know what thousands of years, uh, and we've only recently, in the past few decades, discovered it uh, in in the West, and we have you know, these scientific kind of approaches that we can bring maybe a unique perspective on it. And, and you're practicing some really practical ways of, of, uh, you know, um, going into the experience and and bringing something out of it. And I think that can be really helpful for, uh, for our society, for our culture.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, think I think that is an element that is hard. I mean, that is missing in the traditional approaches that they don't understand the Western mind very well, and also that or how to work. I mean, they, they, a lot of the training that the, the shamans get there is how to work with the plants and how to learn from the plants, which is huge, but it does not apply so much to how to help a Westerner's emotions and freaking out or so on. I mean, there's, you, they do the work on the energetic level, but it's hard to then engage the cognitive part or the processing part because it's very different. And also a lot of the symbols that they use and a lot of the forces they call upon, which is their allies, which is the resources like the spirit of the ocean, Yamanja, or the spirit of the coyote and the bear, they mean nothing to the Westerner. So the things that are huge allies for them cannot be used in the Western, to a Western mind, because a coyote is a coyote. It's nothing that's good uh-huh. that I feel is going to come and help me. <laughs> I
3: remember
2: so, you
1: to, some other, other tools I help people also work with their own archetype or d- develop relationship with bigger forces than them that are actually relevant to how they organize into their culture and their cycle.
0: Yeah, that was one of the exercises we did, I think, in the, in, in the seminar at uh, Burning Man. Um, I think you, you led us through sort of calling upon those, you know, those archetypes, wh- whatever was sort of meaningful for us, like whether it was a superhero type character or a person in our life, you know, that kind of thing. I remember that was one of the techniques that I really uh, internalized.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I feel like it's one of my developments is how to help people come up with... Uh, yeah with forces, allies archetypes that they because they can work amazing in the outer states. I've seen people be able to completely just form up something that was gonna be a bad trip by calling in Bruce Lee because that was one of their
2: archetypes. <laughs> <I remember laughs> that. Bruce, I think I remembered you'd mentioned someone called upon Mr. T as well. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: but, and it, they have a deep emotional meaning connected to it. And a lot of us have grown up on TV. We have not grown up on in nature. So if we call in an animals or spirits of nature or the rivers or the oceans, they mean so much less than Gandalf.
0: Yeah, a bear would be actually pretty scary for a lot of people. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So and not something you have much of a relationship <laughs> with.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. We're coming up on uh, the end of the show, um, but before before we wrap up, there was a really great sort of personification um, that you that you gave. You, you were personifying, I guess, ayahuasca, LSD, and uh, psilocybin mushrooms, um, and you had a great sort of distinction that you made between the three. And I, I can't remember exactly how you how you formed that. <laughs> do you remember what I'm what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I do remember what you're talking about, and and. There is, and and, the, and I wanted to also say that, that that perfectification it's more true for smaller doses of psilocybin cello- mushrooms. Since when, if by bigger doses they go, they do change and they, they can go as I mean they can go as deep as ayahuasca in some ways as other things can do, mm-hmm. and that they that often ayahuasca mushrooms come with a spirit and that acid does not necessarily come with a spirit. It I mean, it's more of a lap thing, so it has the ability to go really deep, but there is less of a sense of a guiding spirit with it that has its own intelligences and has your best interest in mind. So there was the... And mushrooms often, they're, probably they're called in some, in a, I forget which tradition, but they're called, there was kind of, they're called the little, the, not little cousins or the little people, but there is a sense that they can bring humor to so many things. Hmm. So it's often like, like acid can be, that's your shit, that's you, and that's your shit, deal with it. <laughs> so it can uncover a lot, but it's kind of called about it. And it's okay, that's what it is, eat it. So it's almost hard to it doesn't give you a lot of support and how to work with it. And it doesn't come with a sense of care. And it does it kind of it's very much the hard truth and hopefully you have strong enough psycho to know how to integrate the hard truth mm-hmm. <laughs> if it brings up something difficult. And mushrooms have a way of going like this is you, this is your shit and this is how it's funny and they they can bring a sense of humor to it a lot of the time. Not always, and they can be hard too, and again when you take really big doses then it can go into different realms but they do come with a joker almost like with this kind of like <laughs> spirit that can make fun of things that can bring the it brings a certain lightness it brings a certain like yes the universe is a cosmic joke and it comes also with a sense of intelligence and somewhere caring i know that they there is a sense that they do have your best interest in mind kind of a thing a lot of the time and again yes they're hard there they are hard trips and with bigger doses you can it can change it's, it becomes less funny <laughs> funny that way and more deep but it comes a sense but there's kind of the the mushrooms of the little cousin that can help you laugh about things and ayahuasca it's called the great mother or the grandmother in some traditions, and she, the spirit is much more like a wise kind of feminine being that cares about you. So it's kind of more, this is you, and this is your shit, and this is the ways in which you're not your shit, and this is how I'm going to have you back to help you deal with it. Even if it is hard, you know what I mean? Because sometimes she can show people some hard truths, like this is how your behavior hurt people in your life, but it doesn't come as blame, it doesn't come as you're bad, it doesn't come with, with creating horrible guilt. It comes with, and this is how you can learn from it. Yeah. And this is how you can see that pattern so you don't repeat it. It comes like often with this like caring, wise thing attached to it that helps you deal with even hard experiences in a way that, are, that you feel supported and you feel like almost there is a wisdom behind you. Like there is a wisdom helping you hold it that is bigger than you.
0: Wow. Well, there's definitely a wisdom behind you as well. <laughs> so, thank, thank you. you, thank you, Mariana, so much for for giving, being so generous with your time. And I want to point people to your website again, which Brad gave earlier. But it's uh, MarianaDinkova.com. It's M E R I A N A D I N K O V A dot com, and we'll put links in the show notes to uh, to mm-hmm. the website. And uh, you have an upcoming retreat in Peru in April. Uh, it's 10, yeah. 10 days, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, and it's going to be actually a really special one. It's the first time that um, I'm going to be uh, combining the work of multiple shamans. And I'm going to be doing this retreat together with Rak Razam, who is the altered filmmaker of Eye Awakening and a very good friend of mine. So we decided to join forces in that one. And um, it's going to be with three extremely interesting shamans. Um, the first one is uh, Percy Garcia, somebody who Rack has done a couple of retreats with and uh, with uh, Ron Wheelock, who is the famous gringo shaman, who I was so impressed by. I know first seeing him and going, that's some gringo that, is, that looks like a redneck. I don't know. He's just <laughs> to something. And then after seeing him in action, seeing him work, I was like, wow. Is such a powerful being and he also has an extremely unique approach that a lot of I have almost never seen a shaman work that way and the last the third one is Borka who is also very unique And she has uh, when I met her in the kiddos like she was able to diagnose Really, inter- interesting ways. I remember her kind of working with my friend with uh, frog medicine, and and going like, "Hey, you have a demon in your belly. There, you, there is an entity living in your belly. That is, that is completely influencing your life, and we need to do uh, What is it called?" exorcism. <laughs> wow. And then they did. I remember, that was a session when Borka and uh, Ron worked together. And my friend is very experienced with ayahuasca, so she was not a beginner. And whatever left her was such a powerful force. And it was so amazing to watch how they handled it and how she was able to see it and how they held such an amazing container for it. I was extremely impressed by how both of them work. And Borka is actually trained in Peru, so she her main teacher is a Peruvian. And she's going to be the third shaman at the retreat. And she has a very interesting approach of working too. And she's going to be bringing also three different kinds of ayahuasca so people can experience the the sense of different brews. And I do people, uh, I give people tools at the beginning of the retreat, uh, a bit of the beginning before we do the first session and afterwards too. But also between sessions, we do workshops that help you work with the material that came up and also recognize how patterns in how you live your life and be able to address it with ayahuasca or being be able to get resources of what kind of emotion or psychological malware you might have and know how to bring it to ayahuasca to work with it in a more accelerated way. One of the nicknames of ayahuasca is psychotherapy and steroid. Right. So my joke is I combine psychotherapy with the thing with the steroids. So together they can accelerate healing a lot. Well, wow.
0: it it yeah, it sounds like it's about you know two years worth of psychotherapy in in ten days or something like that.
1: And spiritual development, because I mean, she can fix things, but she can also upgrade the system in a big way. So it's not just about solving problems; oh. it's also about yeah, getting upgrades
3: in a way. All the all the computer metaphors are fantastic. Yeah, it, it really it really speaks to <laughs> us for sure. <laughs> No, it's definitely and something, something we do all the time in our joking. So it's it's uh, it's pretty funny.
1: It is funny. I remember reading uh, John Lilly's like pre-re- how was it programming and reprogramming the human behind mm. computer. I was a teenager going wow. <laughs> but something else I wanted to also mention is that I also work with people over Skype. So people who cannot make it to my retreat um, can also book uh, sessions with me before they do medicine work or after they do. Um, they do a retreat or they do a journey. So I help people prepare for journeys and give them the tools and kind of custom make intentions, which is also a really important part of the process because ayahuasca can work really well if you have also specific intentions. She doesn't always answer them, but when she does she can be extremely true. And also give, like knowing what the like helping them really identify what are the best things to work on and how what will be their specific personal tools to to be most aware of before ceremony as well as after ceremony help to help them with the integration so I have people who work with me from all over the world who who do their own medicine work who who can do Skype sessions with me before and after
0: That's a, that's a really great service that you offer and uh sounds like a really great uh, idea so I definitely encourage listeners to uh to check that out uh that's also on your website and uh, again we'll put a link on our uh, on our website as well um so uh Thank you. yeah Thank, thank you so much, Mariana. It's been a great conversation, and maybe in the future we'll we'll be able to have you back and uh, and chat some more.
1: That would be great. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank, thank you. you very, very much. much. Have a beautiful day.
0: Big, big playa hugs.
1: Big playa hugs.
2: Will you? Are, do you plan to come back next year to Burning Man? Yeah. Will you yeah. <laughs> have a? Will you be hosting another uh, talk?
1: Yeah, or two? I'm planning. Okay. Sorry, Excellent.
3: This, this year I'll be there for sure. <laughs> this, is, this I will not miss, <laughs> unless I forget everything I know before
1: then. You know. <laughs> and, and again, the, 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 the tools I was mentioning—they work on all kinds of other substances. I've had people write me letters after Burning Man, going, "Oh my God, the thing you taught—I used it on ecstasy, and it, it and created miracles, you know what I mean? Or it, it came up with some other substance and it was so applicable. So I know that I associate them with ayahuasca a lot, but again, they can come at, they can be used in PMS. I mean, PMS is an altered state, <laughs> but it can in a variety of different substances. And and there are also specific tools that are more specific for different different substances. Do you ever
0: do any um, workshops uh, through Skype for you know like a larger audience, or, or whether it's Skype or I guess something like a go to meeting or or a go to uh, you know webinar kind of thing?
1: I'm considering doing that. I haven't done it yet. I've mostly spoken at conferences, or recently I spoke in, uh, in Hawaii in a Tantra festival, and that one was about entheogenic uh, tools for, for for sexuality, and how some of those tools can be used to improve an erotic experience, which is, a lot of them is so applicable to how to have, how to have better sex as well, as to how to have a deeper journey. Um, but I haven't done anything online yet, but that's something I'm considering doing.
0: I think it would be a great, uh, great method.
1: Yeah. People can join my newsletter and I can keep, keep them updated when something comes up for sure. Or if you can't make it to the April one but want to be, be kept in the loop about future retreats, also definitely uh, join my newsletter. There is a button on the website so I can keep it in the loop. Excellent. Or send me an email and just mention your name, your email, and ask to be kept in the loop and then I can make sure that, that you're on my uh, data like database. A
3: fantastic vacation co- combining uh, everything we've talked about with places like Hawaii
0: and Peru. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And in Peru, they're gonna be jungle tours. It's gonna be a lot more just <laughs> <more> than, <this laughs> than than just ayahuasca workshops.
0: That's amazing. It sounds like a really, really unique experience too. Is you know, even for people who've been sort of aware of this possibility of of uh, going and having an uh, ayahuasca ceremony, this one in particular, the one you're leading um, with the shamans you mentioned, I think is sounds like a really unique uh, opportunity with not only ayahuasca but other plant medicines and and uh, and three shamans. I mean, that's that's incredible.
1: Yeah, and we have picked them so that they do come in. It's like the first one is really good for opening the space. The second one is really good to working with any kind of deeper, potentially darker material that might come up. And the last one is really good for closing up and like general healing, like and creating and bringing her wisdom to the closing up ceremony. So I think also the way we have put them one after each other is, is it's there to create a very special journey. Wow.
0: That's fantastic. Well, thank you again for all your time uh, tonight and for all the work you do. And uh, definitely look forward to uh, you know, seeing you again at Burning Man and, and talking again in the future.
1: Same here. Thank you, guys.
0: <laughs> thank you. Hey, take care.